Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast. And boy, you are in for a treat. We've got Brian Parsley with the Constance Group. But I've known Brian for 21, 22 years now that I think about 22 Gosh, years. Since, since I was like 12. That's right. He was 12 oh, years man. old. <laughs> that, that math checks out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we uh and it's funny because I got to hear Brian speak about a month or so ago, maybe two months. And I got to hear part of his story that I didn't know at all because he's done a lot in the last 22 years. And so you get to be part of that journey. So Brian, here's the scenario. You and your wife are going through one of the concourses to do some international flight, probably back to South Africa. And you might even see Johan Kornoff on your trip over there. I don't know. But you're going to go see your wife's family and do what you do. You love traveling. And as you're going through the concourse, somebody re recognizes you from all of your YouTube Instagrams, all of these amazing things that you light up social media about, or they've heard you at one of your seminars where you're speaking, and they go, Brian Parsley, and they are talking about you, thinking that they're having a private conversation that you can't hear, but you actually hear everything that they're saying. What would you like somebody to be saying about you, Brian? I didn't know where you were going with that. I thought it was a real life scenario. Um, and and I love this because th this is definitely not planned. Um, that that they they recognized me and they don't know I can hear them say something. Right. You know, yep. this, this may sound really strange, but it's not about my accomplishments, achievements, work, methodologies, success stories to helping other people. I would rather them say, what an authentic, genuine human being um, who puts other people first and is a servant leader. To me, that would be, I mean, you're talking really, what do I want someone to say at my uh, funeral? And, uh, and I think that's the key because at the end of the day, when we do pass on, and it, I don't know if you know this, it's, it's a pretty sure thing. Um, we have to understand that even though people will miss us a week later, they give away all your stuff at Goodwill. Right. So um, it's that, it's that finite time period of, of what you're really made of. And then if you say that, and that's, what's important, I guess the other, I'm going to answer my own question. Are we living the life to make sure that's being said? Number one. And I think number two, um, we probably should want to hear that before we're dead. <laughs> from somebody yeah amen to that that's good so before we dive into some of these questions I want to give the listeners that don't know of you yet brian a quick little background so brian's a professional keynote speaker he's a managing partner of the constance group uh he's an angel investor and he's got a plethora of business background that we're going to dive into so i want to take you back early on into the career Share with us the the experience of you starting your career with door-to-door -door sales. Talk to us about that experience. Well, it goes back, believe it or not, to, when, I don't know how old I would be, fifth grade. Um, and um, and so I uh, this other 
boy and I were wrestling this guy being goofballs and who, by the way, he turned out to be a Virginia state trooper, Greg Miller, amazing guy. And we broke his glasses and we were forced to come up with $30 each to help pay for new glasses. I'll never forget. And I was too scared to tell my dad. And so, um, and that, cause that was back in the days when you get whipped. And, um, and so I started at that moment, I got to come up with the business. So the first thing I did was created a, a car wash business and uh, and I would go and sell them door to door. And then I would uh, I had this other boy, uh, Paul, that I had him sign a contract. I would give a thousand dollars for this contract. Right. Said that I will book. And I don't remember the price. He must say five dollars to wash your car. I'd give him two and I would keep three. And uh, and I'll never forget his mom turned out called my dad because he wanted to quit and I said no you're in a contract and uh <laughs> great and and he's like what what son what's going on here and and for me I was like yeah but I'm selling it providing the soap and all that kind of stuff and it's just a, an arrangement to make money so I started listening to a guy named Zig Ziglar back see you at the top red cassette tapes yeah. fifth grade and I then, from, besides the car wash, I had a lawn mowing business starting in junior high. I sold lim literally the cliche lemonade and cookies on the side of the road back when it was okay to eat that stuff from uh, strangers. And, uh, and that's really kind of how it got started. And then when I was in junior high, Mrs. Ball, my English teacher, um, I got in trouble for being the class clown talking out of turn you know my whole life and and she she enrolled me into a speech contest called uh for the optimist club and she said i put you in this thing and you're going to go give a 10 minute talk on optimism and i said that's great but i don't know anything about eyesight um now i'm from west virginia um and she's like basically no idiot that's optometry this is about positive thinking and and i came in first place and i realized at that moment in seventh grade that I'm actually pretty good at this. And I like the selling aspect. So I started a business in junior high where I would, I would, um, I took some money and I would go to like Costco and buy a thing of uh, like uh, blow pops. And after lunch, lunch cost 85 cents. So after lunch, everybody had 15 cents change. I would sell them for 15 cents. And during class, I would sell them for a quarter. And so I just, I've constantly been this little entrepreneur um growing up and and i moved to charlotte north carolina i know this is maybe going to more info than you needed and uh i wanted to get a job selling i came here because that's as far as the tank of gas brought you from west virginia because i didn't go to college and i borrowed a car and uh no one would hire me no one would hire i couldn't get a job selling cars down down in independence boulevard down here in charlotte and uh so i took a job at boston chicken as a chicken cutter and i started networking in the evenings and uh, that was really kind of my start until I met a lady. Uh, her name was uh, uh, Patty Comer. She's actually the CEO now of a crew partners. Amazing woman. Uh, I don't know if you know her, Gary, but. Uh, well, she was on the anything but typical yeah. podcast. Of course. Are you joking? <laughs> I didn't no. see that. one. Well, Patty gave me my first. She had an ad. This is when you got jobs in the paper and she had an ad in the paper. It said, um, it said, uh, looking for an account executive, no phone calls. So I called her because, you know, I didn't have a resume. I'm cutting chicken at Boston Market. And uh, and I said, Patty, we don't know each other yet, but we should. She said, why? I said, I'm your number one sales rep. 
And she's like, send me your resume. I said, let's meet in person. And she did. And, um, and I got a job working for her. And uh, I realized at that point, and this is back when you really did cold call door to door. I mean, this is back when, Ben, I would go in the Bank of America building. Only rookies start at the bottom or the top. You start in the middle and then you alternate even floor, odd floor, because the it took a lot longer for security to get you. And um, and, I, and I sold temporary staffing and I did that. Um, and then we ended up uh, coming up with an idea to create an online job site. And Gary, I don't know if you know this back in 2000, uh, I, I had this idea and I put a billboard up on the highway that said had a picture of George Bush during that election year. And it said Gore 2000 next to it. I remember it. <laughs> and that thing went viral. No ad agency would. Nobody wanted to do it except Boone Oakley. And, and David Oakley said, I'll take a chance. Let's do it. But when I started that dot com, we, we raised a few million dollars with, with some folks, some angels here locally. Um, Patty actually became the COO of that company. Uh, we sold that company. And uh, well, that company started in uh 1998 i think and then we sold it in 2001 to red ventures um and um and so from there i transitioned into uh speaking and consulting and uh and we've been doing that for the last 20 uh now 22 years what was the name of that company again that you had we skill oh uh before that um it was uh one two three uh hire.com or one two three. that's right what we did was we we had an arbitrage model we would go into local markets so one two three charlotte one two, um raleigh whatever and we would partner with the local tv station one two three jacks for jacksonville florida and uh and we would take their unsold inventory rebundle it in the form of packages go to let's say bank of america say hey We'll give you X dollars worth of advertising plus a job posting plus resume access for for X, and then share the revenues with the uh, with the uh, TV station. And and you know it's a really interesting model. The reason why we called it one two three back in those days, the algorithms picked up the numbers before the letters. So and one two three was my birthday, January twenty third. Oh, how cool! I didn't know that part of the story. That's and how we I, met. Yeah. Oh, what did we? Well, we were in the dot-com roundtable with Mac Lackey, Stephen Medio, a bunch of anybody that was running a dot-com in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's right. Was part of this dot-com roundtable. That was my first intro to roundtables. Yes. And it was it was the coolest thing to be able to be with others that are in the same wild, wild west, which that's what it was at that time. And freely sharing what we were learning. And we had direct competitors. I mean, especially you. And I'm trying to think, was it Talent Bridge? Maybe. I can't remember. But I think we actually had two that were kind of in your space. But we, you know, we were all kind of big ocean, lots of fish people. Let's just share what we know, right? Isn't it interesting back in those days with the business? Uh, it wasn't based on what your profitability is. It was based on burn rate, your losses. How much are you burning every month? Oh, that, that is the truth. When I was running bizjournals.com, we put a million dollars with a, a direct competitor called allbusiness.com in San Francisco. And Ray Shaw, who is my chairman, said, I want you to go out 
keep an eye on these guys. I'm like, why, are you, why would you put a million dollars in a direct competitor? He goes, I want to keep them close. They, they were burning through 40 million a year, didn't even have 1 million in top line, and they sold for $225 million to NBCI a couple of months before the dot-com bubble blew up. That was how crazy it was. And I came back on like, Ray, the world is upside down. I don't understand. Like the, I, I thought we were really missing it. And he ran it like tight, like a, a real business. <laughs> and he's like, this is unsustainable. It's going to blow. And he called it to the month. Wow. Amazing. I, yeah, I wish I could go back and go uh, well, I will tell you, there's no way I could prove this, but I can just tell you with my honor that I had a conversation in 99 with a little company called Google. Okay. <laughs> and they, I, I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, maybe it was 2000, but I said, Hey, you know, like we're looking to partner, blah, blah, blah. Cause I thought if I'm competing against hot jobs and monster on these big ones at the time, what, what, you know, this Google thing that's coming up, it seems like it could have legs. And he said, look, we're not doing acquisitions, but if we were, it would be strictly on stock. And I'm like, screw stock. I'm waiting for the cash buyout. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How many times, you know, we've come this close to dying and this close to being Bezo, right? And uh, geez, <laughs> right. What, can you imagine taking any amount of Google stock back in those days? No. Yeah. Crazy. It worked out okay for you. Well, I will say that you and I would be having this conversation sipping, you know, frozen drinks on my yacht. Right. There you go. Right. <laughs> so, Brian, from, from your opening of walking us through uh, the beginning of your career, one of the things that stood out was you called Patty up, you had no resume, and yet she still took a chance on you. What was it in that conversation? I don't know if you guys have talked since after or after the fact, but why did she take a chance on you and give you a job when you didn't have a background, you didn't have the experience, you didn't have a resume to hand over? I Patty and I still do talk. She's actually on an around the world trip right now. Uh, uh, but I don't know. Like she maybe she sees stuff. I mean, she is a an incredibly probably one of the smartest women or individuals for that matter. But as far as a woman entrepreneur and it's like takes no prisoners and just right. like goes for what she, she is incredibly intelligent, incredibly assertive and is willing to take chances. And she always has. And that's why everything she touches turns to gold. It's, it's her work ethic, I guess. And combined with her ability to see things that maybe some people don't see, including myself. Right. Yeah, because like you said, you couldn't send the resume over, right? You're not going to put Boston Market Deli on your on a piece of paper and, and send it to her. And you didn't go to college, so you don't have that background to give her. And yet you met with her and she took that chance on you. And then you guys ended up going and doing great things after that together. Yeah, but uh, yeah. And look what she built when we sold to Red Ventures and she started a crew partners. You can yep. just imagine. I mean, look how huge that company is now. So yeah. that's testament to her more than me, but but I can say that I learned quite a bit from her um, at the time about just being she's she's obsessively persistent. When, and and it was something I really have used to this day. I mean, like I I think everybody I mean, Gary, everybody you've met, I've met our relationships. And I remember, you know, we run into each other sometimes. But um, I think if we can just learn 
little things here and there and apply them in our life and our business. But I can tell you this much, and I, I would assume you both would subscribe to this, is at the end of the day, it's about relationships over everything else. Yep. No, you're right. I'll I mean, say an amen to that again, too. Yeah. And you want to talk about relationships, right? Like you two are both unbelievable at that. So it's, it makes sense. Um, Brian, you've even, you've talked in, in some of your speeches about not putting marketing dollars out there, that it's word of mouth, it's relationships, it's networking, things like that. So go further in, into that area since you brought it up of how you've been able to have success growing your business, not by going out trying to have transactions through networking, but just how do I connect people? How do I add value? That type of stuff. So I think that, and, and I want this to be a commercial because I don't see myself as successful. I see myself as just trying to do the right thing over a long period of time. I think the definition of failure is also pretty simple. Make one or two small fatal mistakes over and over again. <laughs> They're not even big. It's the aggregation of marginal loss, you know, when you look at it that way. Um, I'll, I'll share with you, for me, I've been burned many times more than I've had success stories from this servant mindset, giving, I say, connect, don't sell, but I'll flip to a real life one that happened. And I won't use his name, but, uh, there's a CEO that I met at a, at a store down in, um, South Park called Taylor Richardson Conger. Right. And, um, and I've known those guys for many years and they're incredible by the way, for any type of, you know, clothing for, for, for gentlemen. And I was down there getting some things altered and I had this incredible linen jacket that I loved more than anything. And I only wore it a couple of times, but it wasn't going to fit anymore because of, uh, you know, my body changing. And this guy was standing there and I didn't know him, but he looked exactly like the same size I was before. And he was picking up something as well. And we were just chatting there for a second Go, do me a favor, try this on. And he tried it on. He goes, man, this is nice. I said, you want it? He goes, how much? Cause he's like, this looks brand new. And I'm like, it's nothing. It's yours. And he goes, why would you do that? I was like, because I want somebody that really appreciates good quality and would actually wear it. And it looks great on you. And he's like, man, I just don't get it. So anyway, he apparently followed me on LinkedIn, called me the other day and said, Hey, we may have an opportunity for you to come speak at our thing. And it just, I follow you on LinkedIn. I listen to your stuff. And, and he said, I never, it's never ceased my mind that, you know, 10 months ago, this stranger gave me this jacket for and not ask for anything. Didn't, didn't try to sell me something, didn't follow up and sell me something. And that's a good example of we should always look for ways to connect. And I don't do it because I expected anything other than a smile. I just, I don't know, like if you could just find little ways to help. And, and most of the time, it's people that I know can't do anything in return. You know, like just they're around us every day because you know what? Remember the Deion Sanders, the, the famous football player for the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, Gary, you got to remember him. You're old. And, and he said, hey, if you what did he say? If you dress great, you feel great, you feel great, you play great, play great, they pay great. And and I think if you serve and give and do things for people, not anticipating, not expecting, it makes you feel great. And when you feel great, you play better. And that's, and that's the only way I can equate it. And, and there are days today I've had a couple wins and I've had a couple losses and then I have a couple worries 
And it's like this roller coaster as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. especially, or if you're a salesperson, especially. But we just got to spend more time focusing on, you know, the the wins. And it's difficult because I want to win everything. You know, when I don't, I get really hard on myself. And and that's the part we don't see and why, you know, even saying some of these things out loud, I would never want someone to have this misperception of everything is perfect because it's far from it. I struggle as a human being with self-confidence. I struggle with, you know, uh, my performance and and what's what I'm really potentially capable of. And, and I really struggle with, you know, doing the right thing consistently and I'm defective as a human. Right. As, as we all are, right. We all have our, our flaws and intricacies, but one thing I'm curious about, and this is probably more of a, a heartbeat type question. You'd say you get your, you've been burned more times than not with the servant leadership type mindset early on in your, your career, what was it that made you keep that type of mentality, even though you've been burned more times than not that way? And because like I got burned um, in 2020, as an example, a guy that if this is a business deal that basically he owes me close to a hundred thousand dollars. And, and, and it was a real company, a legit company, and he kept delaying and, but you would think that I would be stupid enough to, 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 to stop doing it. Right. Uh, but I kept working because I had faith and belief that it'll all work out. Um, and, and it's those type of things. Uh, and, and they do, they're frustrating and you start second guessing yourself, but I'll flip to the positive of that. There was a client in 2020 that couldn't afford to pay me because of COVID, they lost so much of their revenue. And the CEO called me and said, look, I love you. You add a lot of value, but we don't have the money and I'm going to have to pause. And all through COVID, I worked for them for free because I said, well, now you need me more than I need you. And now's the time for me to step up and be a partner. And they've actually re-engaged me and I'm retained again by that same company as they came through. Um, But once again, I didn't expect that. What I expected was to do what I can do to help. And I don't know why I keep doing it, but I just think it's ingrained maybe un- unconsciously to, to just try to do the right thing and um, and everything's going to work out. And I know that my mom, who I never really knew, uh, she passed away when I was a year old. My sister told me a story about, and her name was Constance. That's why the company is called The Constance Group, Less Corporate, More Human. It's a tagline because my mom, my sister said, I remember when mom, I was, she said, I was seven um, and my sister's 14 years older than me. And we were very poor. And she said, I remember my mom looking out the window at the ice cream truck. And there was this one little boy standing behind the other three little boys because he didn't have any money. And she said, we had no money. But my mom scrounged up the 15 cents or whatever it was at the time. And went out there to make sure that little boy, and she she said, that's how mom was. And so I would like to think that genetically, maybe I'm living through that same mindset. So I want to, I want to do a kind of an exclamation point, And I want to dive a little bit deeper into this one thing. For, so for anybody that doesn't know, if you haven't listened to Patty Comer's <laughs> um, 
episode on the Anything But Typical podcast, you need to. She also introduces to Esbeth and Daya, who is one of the most amazing stories we've heard as well. Everybody has an amazing story, though, if you, you just ask, I think. But you could say, oh, well, he's just a, a natural giver. And especially where he says, connect, don't sell. Okay, let's put that in context because Brian Parsley, who had to go sell himself from the chicken cutting table at the Boston market, which by the way, the founder of that is also an amazing entrepreneur that was involved in our, our group. Um, but he started that and Einstein bagels and some other things. You were in hardcore sales mode. You had to be in like, it was, you know, wearing out shoes kind of thing. And so I want, I we kind of glossed over that. I want you to go in a little bit deeper as to what was that like. And then as the listeners are listening to that, think about, he was on commission. <laughs> he was on, on commission. And yet he still maintains this connect don't sell mentality. So Brian, take us through a little bit more of that. So talking about Patty. So one of Patty's rules, I'll never, and this is before computers and all that stuff, but we have business cards. You go collect business cards and, and you have them stacked up on your thing. And, and I had to hand write them into this call sheet. She said, you need to get 50 new users a day. Now in the temporary staffing world, that means 50 companies that are using temps. Well, so if you don't use temps, it doesn't count. So not 50 new contacts, 50 new users a day, whether they're using currently or not, but they use temps. And I did that first day, second day, third day, about a weekend. I, uh, I fudged a few numbers because I got, I opened up, by the way, the youngsters won't know what this is, but I opened up this thing called a phone book and it had everybody's numbers in this phone book, right? Now you call it the Google. And, um, and I added a couple in there. We'll just pretend Gary was the guy. Patty's so smart, man. I'm telling you, like, this is such a powerful lesson for me. She's going through my list because she did. And she said, oh, Gary Fry, how's how's he doing over there? Yeah, they're doing pretty good. She goes, really? He's been closed for three months. If you ever do that again, you're blankety, blankety fired. <laughs> I was a little scared. Okay. But it taught me a very valuable lesson that day, right? Uh, number one, as a leader, measure what gets done. People only do what they're told to do or paid to do. She never said, I'm your boss. If you got to say you're the boss, you ain't the boss. She demonstrated it and she hustled and she was out there every day working. And I just, I got thick skin. She toughened me up and that's what made me a great sell. I think I had the raw talent maybe. I've been listening to Zig Ziglar for however many years. I was 24 years old when Patty and I, 25, I'm going to be 52. So, you know, I've known Patty, you know, since the mid nineties, you know, I've known her a really long time. And, um, but I think that that just uh, forges through that persistence. And that to me is the biggest challenge we have nowadays. You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't even shoot, you know, I have close to a million followers on TikTok. And, 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 you know, even Instagram, I don't even do one minute videos anymore. I do 15 to 25 second videos. And if I look at the algorithms on that, it's the difference between getting a quarter million views and getting, you know, 
5,000 views. The shorter people's attention span, people's willingness to be patient to win, it's just not there anymore. And, um, and I, you know, for me and you, Gary, especially Ben, I don't know how old you are, but our runway is getting shorter. So we're trying to, you know, uh, escalate, you know, our, our progress quicker based on our experience. Yeah. I just, I think that's really cool because anybody listening to this that has had to sell to make ends meet and Every entrepreneur, when you started, you had to sell to make ends meet. <laughs> so whether you're a salesperson or not, or consider yourself, you're still selling. And yet your statement, connect, don't sell, is really profound. How do you, how do you focus on connecting, like genuine connecting, even when you have sales quotas you got to hit? Okay, let's do the second part first and then and then the second part. One of the things that gives me consistent results is I work scared. I work in fear. I, um, you know, Labor Day, that's work day. And I'm not saying there is no such thing anymore of work-life balance. It's harmony. They blend together. We did have a little friends over and had a nice little cookout yesterday, but I worked. All morning I worked. I want to be and do the things that my competitors are not willing to do. I shower with my phone. My personal mobile number is on all my social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, everything. And does that mean that I sus I'm susceptible to spam? Yes. If someone calls me and they're really good, I want to listen, learn. If they suck, I just say, look, don't be discouraged. Call other people, <laughs> you know, but, but at the end of the day, that is really important. And also I detach myself from the physical now. It's weird because um, I unfortunately was looking at my uh, portfolio uh, from one of our uh, wealth management groups uh, this yesterday or, or on Monday, whatever Labor Day was yesterday. And I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars last month in this portfolio. And my mm -hmm. wife said, geez, she goes, you're not even like really upset. It's like, yeah, it'll come back. I don't worry about that kind of stuff, right? I'm worrying about the right here, right now, what can I do kind of stuff, right? So the, so the question is, what can you do and how do you get to the connecting? L open your eyes, look, you know? And again, let me give you an example. So I was flying back, maybe I shouldn't show her, her Instagram, now I'm thinking about, when I was flying back from South Africa in June, uh, Swiss Air canceled my flight and I ended up flying Lufthansa. And they were boarding, literally boarding. I had on, haven't shaved, shorts, flip-flops, hat. And I walked up to the gate agent and I said, hey, how you doing? He's like, very good, sir. I said, listen, I'm going to New York. I've never flown Lufthansa before. Everybody here is so lovely. Thank you for that. I said, do you guys ever upsell tickets? And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, I know we're boarding, but would you see if there's something available? And he goes, well, let me see here. I got a middle seat in premium economy. I said, wrong direction. And he goes, uh, he goes, what do you want? And I go, first class. That's a $10,000 ticket, right? So he's looking, he goes, well, seats eight people and there's only four and we're boarding. Would you do $650? I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and so I get on the plane and there's two flight attendants for five of us. 
and uh, it was really great. And while we were flying, I had caviar, I had like vintage champagne. Like I ate probably fifteen hundred dollars worth of stuff. Sorry, Lufthansa. And and this lady, I started asking her, "Tell me about your life. How did you know this was your dream?" Like just having a conversation. And um, anyway, we follow each other on Instagram. She sends me things. Or and at the end, she goes, "Listen." She goes, you know what? We we meet a lot of nice people, but rarely does someone take the time to really kind of ask what we really like and what we do outside of work. And like you did with him and myself. And I just want to say thank you for that. And, and if I ever see you on a flight and you're sitting somewhere else, you're coming up here with us, you know? And again, that's the benefit. But wow. the real value for me was showing this genuine interest in someone that's kind to me and 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 I'll never forget she goes uh we're about four, however many hours in the flight she goes would you like me to make your bed because they give you pajamas and all that I said uh we're going to be eating this whole flight we're not worrying about sleep so um <laughs> but it was it was uh it was that to me Ben is is the focus of here's a flight attendant how can I connect does yeah. it work every time even genuinely like just trying to be nice to people no right. sometimes you get the stink eye but that that's they, somebody else has to sleep with them, not me. Yeah. And that's how I look at it. And there's really only about 10 jerks in the world. They just move around quite a bit. So you just run into them occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Brian, let's, let's keep moving forward and share with the listeners what the Constance Group does. Let's start there. It, so the, the Constance Group, we, we, we teach a behavioral science around selling. Um, it's called the sales funnel. My partner's father developed it back in the 1970s. It's leveraged and used by big corporations, uh, compass group, as an example, six largest employer in the world. Uh, we currently work with companies from relation insurance to patient point and so forth. And, um, and we teach how to take from hello to contract a lot quicker. And it's all using, behaviors, very similar to what innately we do unconsciously already, right? It's what made Gary successful and myself, but but a very uh, specific formula to ask questions in a way to elicit pain. We call it deficit selling. And we do that through customer service, do that through sales, and we do that through what we call whole brain leadership, understanding the emotional and logical side of people. And, um, and we're just very lucky that we have this opportunity and Tony and I, uh, uh, partnered our business uh, together, and um, and we're going to continue to. And I met him also, Gary, back uh, in the early two thousands when he graduated from the Citadel. And then who knew that almost twenty years later we were going to rekindle that relationship and start a business together? And we we launched it uh, summer of last year officially, and uh, we have a lifelong uh, partnership. In fact, all the people on our website, for the most part, we even put it out there have a relationship with myself or Tony for the last between 10 and 20 years working together. That's so cool. My yeah. assistant, we, cause we have an office in Cape town, South Africa. My assistant actually went to school, elementary school with my wife. Wow. <laughs> want to talk about everybody being connected somehow. That's it. So you mentioned leveraging behavioral sciences. Talk about a couple of things. First off, I want to hear about how that's a big differentiator, right? Because there are lots of coaching, consulting type companies, lots of people that say they'll go into businesses. How do you leverage that to make that a big differentiator for yourself? Well, 
solution selling is commodity selling. And unfortunately, most salespeople, even ones that want to not sell but connect, ones that want to serve, we, we, we do a fatal flaw. We puke on the customer. When we hear them give us an opportunity to fill in the slot for our solution or our product or service, we immediately puke on them. The most basic example would be, you know, Gary, we'd love to have another vendor that does what you do. But the problem is our last one, they just didn't communicate effectively with us. You know, they never followed up. They never did. And then all of a sudden we go, oh, well, you won't have to worry about us. I mean, we're always calling you and we do this, 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 as opposed to saying, wow, that's interesting. Let me ask you this. How do you define good communication? What does that look like? Give me an example of when that happened for you. So we really break down to, it's kind of like if I, Ben, we're going to play poker. You put a thousand dollars on the table. I'll put a thousand on the table. One card, winner takes all one game, right? But you don't know if we're playing blackjack, high card, war, or five card poker, unless I look at my cards first and determine the game. You wouldn't take that bet, right? No chance. Because you don't know the rules. Right. Yet we're going in and selling based on we think we think we know, but we yeah. really don't. We're based on our biases, our background, our stories that we know to be true. So what we do is we take them through this funnel of asking the appropriate questions to determine what their criteria is, define what it means to them. Because let's say we, you asked my wife and I, let's go out for a quality meal. I'm going to say barbecue. She's going to say vegan. So, so if you don't know what their definition is, you're already behind the eight ball. And, right. and then you've got to diagnose it, which is the right brain emotional. Greater the pain, better the medicine. None of us at this table, none of us listening right now would pay $1,000 for a bottle of water. Unless you had $1,000, you were in the desert and there was no water. Right. The value of services doesn't matter when you have pain. You want to fix it. Hey, Gary, by the way, you have a you have a medical challenge that has a 99% death rate unless it's unless it's this drug that's not covered under insurance and it's bitter and it doesn't taste good but you but if you take it three times you know you're you're going to live you're not saying well how much is it <laughs> yeah know, that's right done and i think ben that's where that's where the fundamental difference is we teach people to slow down to speed up taking them through the process of understanding who they're talking to, because the way I sell to someone that is in the behavioral world, a very dominant or high D person is different than someone that is compliant and risk adverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I was talking to somebody the other day on a similar topic and they, they use the analogy of it's medical malpractice. If you start prescribing things before you truly know what the, what the issue is. And it's the same thing in sales, right? If we're prescribing things before we actually know the true pain points, it's we're doing ourselves that same disservice. That's it. And 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 again, there's more to that. You know, you got to peel back the banana, you know, with what we're doing, and it's difficult without puking, you know, to share it. But but there are some tricks. And what's cool is from Duke Energy to you know banks that use this. Um, we have a client that's now saying, what, what would it take for you not to train our competitors? <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that is, Ooh, that that's is a good question. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Be so effective that you want to cordon off and own that 
strategic advantage over your competitors. That's brilliant. There's, there is a, there's an organization that uses this methodology that pays hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars a year to not train their biggest competitor. Wow. And, and that's not, I didn't make it up, you know, like that's, I can't brag and say with my methodology, it's Tony's dad, you know, he developed this. And, and, and again, this guy's 81 years old, still working it every single day. Great guy for your anything podcast, right? Oh, anything that'd be great. He's atypical. This guy's 81 and he still sits in a tree stand to go deer hunting. He's 81 and he travels on the senior world poker ship championship tour. I Mentally 20. <laughs> yeah. He's ridiculous. This guy. So <laughs> smart. And, and Tony as well. Tony's incredibly intelligent and he grew up with this. So imagine how good he is. He was not only, you know, bred into this, like he genetically, you know, he's just in it. Like it's, yep. it's all he knows. Yep. So it's pretty powerful. Yep. One of the things that, that you guys do that, that I want us to talk about is helping companies build better sales cultures. So you hear about culture a lot of the times, but you almost see a division between the sales side and the culture side, right? It's what's ex internal versus, hey, what do we have to do externally to get revenue in? Talk about some of the things that companies can be doing to, to blend that. How can you have a, a strong, positive sales culture inside a company? I think you have to choose. Do you want to have a personal culture or a business culture? You can't have both. Interesting. Go, go a little bit deeper. What do you mean? So there's a gentleman who I highly regard and Gary, you'll probably know him, Jim Morgan. Yeah. Jim Morgan was the chairman of Wachovia Securities, became the chairman of Krispy Kreme when the most unpopular time to become chairman of Krispy Kreme when they were almost bankrupt. Okay. Yeah. And the first thing he did when he came in was sold the jets, sold the bread company, stopped doing the franchises and stopped trying to compete with Dunkin' Donuts for coffee. And I'm going to paraphrase something I heard him say was we're not in the coffee business. We're in the donut business. The, the, you know, it's a luxury. Most people can afford when they see the hot now, that's who we are. And there's a couple of stories. One, I'm not sure I'm, able that I could say, because I don't want to say it wrong back in his financial days, but this one I know because this happened firsthand. Um, I took my daughter to the one in Salisbury when she was little, when he was chairman, and I wanted her to kind of see how they make the donuts. Right. And she got the hat and the lady, the manager was telling me all this. And I said to her, I said, do you know Jim Morgan? And she leaned in, she goes, of course I know Jim Morgan. He's our chairman. And I said, I said, what do you think about him? She said, I would die for that man. And this is a manager at a fast, wow. you know, like, yeah. and I go, and I said, why? She said, I'll give you an example. She said, one day he was coming from Winston-Salem to Charlotte, because that's where he lives. And she said, he stopped in here and we were crazy busy and shorthanded. He came in, introduced himself, rolled up his sleeves and was cleaning the, the lines back here, sweeping the floors and doing everything we can until we got caught up. Wow. Servant leader. He, he I learned something else from him. I went to an event and I watched him going around filling people's waters at the round tables at this event. 
And I'll never forget. And I said, why do you do that? You're the chairman. <laughs> and he said, well, a couple of reasons. Number one, it gives me an excuse to be able to open a conversation with people that maybe wouldn't want to come to me directly. And number two, I want them to know that my job is I work for them. And again, yeah. I modeled a lot of this after him because he was he's genuinely a, a very good guy. Um, but what happens is, Ben, is we want people nowadays, if you're a leader, you can listen to this advice, take it or don't. We want people to work on Labor Day. We want them to go beyond. We want them to cancel a dinner so that they can get this important project across the finish line. But when they ask for something, we then quote company policy and PTO time and things like that. So you're going to have to choose. Yeah. Do you want it? It's kind of like the bank. You write a bad check, you're going to get charged $22. You know what? Um, sucks, but it's the name of the game. You do it, you play the game, and that's what happens. But if I'm going to Ben's shop and I'm a regular and I've been going there for 10 years and I accidentally write a bad check and you charge me $22, I'm going to be really offended yep. because we have a social relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm a loyal customer. How dare you not give me grace one time? Yep. You know how much money I've spent here? See the difference? Yep. So I think that leaders need to understand what is it that you really want out of your employee? Is it compliance? Malicious obedience? Is it, but you can't have that and family at the same time. Yeah. Now you can have family just like at home. Our daughters have chores and expectations and we hold them accountable, but you can't do it after the fact. You have to say up front, here's where I need your help. You know, do you have any, do, do you have, does that make sense? Do you understand? And if it doesn't get done, that's fine too, but Here's what happens if we can't get that across the finish line. So they make the decision and it's not me trying to come in and lay a hammer right. down. Yep. And there, there's equilibrium, right? So if I'm understanding this correctly of the business versus personal, if it's a business style and you're going to be quoting, this is what our corporate uh, letters and laws are saying, when they come back to you for something, you shouldn't be expecting them to work on a Sunday evening to get a project done because- that's not what's in their contract either. So you can't have yeah. it. You can't have it both ways that's where it. you're demanding everything and you're not getting anything back or giving. That's anything. it. And in terms of leadership or management, uh, this a CEO of a very large company uh, told me this a long time ago. He said, Brian, you can always be nice later, but you can never go from good cop to bad cop. So if someone's new, you're better off being firm. Mm -hmm. This is it. This is it. And be nice person later on in the relationship versus trying to be their friend and everything up front and then trying to lay down the hammer later. See, that was Patty's secret. I was scared of Patty in a good, healthy way. Right. Uh, but not because I was afraid she'd fire me. I was scared of Patty because I was afraid she'd be disappointed in me. And she led that charge by being on the streets every day, this turning into the Patty Comer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to send her a message here, wherever she is in the world. And like just we, say, hey, we just sat around complimenting her for an hour. It's basically. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but, 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 but listen, how many people does it take? Maybe it's this podcast that you need, not this particular one, but anything but typical means that it's not your typical podcast. And, exactly. and, yeah. and if you can get one nugget that empowers you to look at something through a different lens, that's all we need to propel ourselves. The decision that's the hardest part. Make the decision and then commit to it.
And, and uh, one of my clients, I've been with him since 2006, Chris Ciccinelli, and he took a business from about 3 million to 400 million called Pure Romance. Brilliant guy. I had, we could do a whole podcast on him, right? He's another great guy you should talk to. And, and he always says, um, uh, focus on the process, detach from the outcome. And I always anchor that over and over and over. Focus on the process. Do what you got to do every day. Stop worrying about what you're going to get. It's going to come. Just be patient and do it every day. Be the committed. And if you do that, you win. I see you out there. You're, you're speaking all around. Does that then lead to growth in the, the company? Um, yeah, I, I joke and say they're paid auditions. <laughs> you know, yep. um, I, I think everything that we do, and this is based on the sales funnel, there's five pillars to a relationship. Respect, trust, credibility, likability, rapport. And if you focus on those areas with any relationship, it builds a strong basis because statistically 25% of people will not resonate with you or me or someone else. And remember grandma used to tell us, talk to people the way you want to be talked to. That was actually wrong. You have to talk to people and treat people the way they want to be talked to, the way they need to be treated. And that's where you start creating that connection with folks. Right. How do you develop that muscle? Right. Because that's not natural for a lot of people. And some of it's empathy, some of it's listening, self-awareness. There's there's a combination of things. But how do you build that muscle? Some of us, it's not DNA wired. You're right. Yeah. Um, some of us. But awareness, you know, they always say with the addiction, admitting the addiction is the first step. Right. And a lot there are a lot of people that are narcissistic that don't want to believe that or they think highly of themselves to the point to where they're not open to other people's ideas or criticisms or, um, and nobody likes that. That's ego. But having the willingness to just look at, look, my, my wife helps me with this a lot. She's very easy to tell me when I screw up and your <laughs> ego gets in the way and you say like, why are you talking? And it takes me about 30 minutes to reflect and be like, yeah, she kind of has a point, you know? <laughs> And then I have to go back with the tail between my legs. Like, okay, you, I should have approached this a little differently, right? Before I came up here to do this thing with you, um, Tony and her, my wife actually is our CEO. So it's like, we're sitting there going over something in business. And I go, I was like, that'll never work. She's why are you so negative? You know, and it's like, you know, I was like, I'm not being practical. And then, you know, now thinking about it, I would need to go down and be like, you know, that, that was pretty negative. We should maybe look at that. <laughs> you know, I don't know though, that I just think that if you, people with body odor, Ben rarely know they stink. And I think if you have enough sensory acuity or EQ to say, if this is not, it's like being married seven times, the first three, bad timing, crazy, whatever. Seven times it's you. Right. And if you have a perpetual, uh, if you're willing to be honest with yourself and look at whether it's physical, financial, you be you behave yourselves into the situation you're in, good or bad, 100%. Yeah, that well, makes sense. Self-awareness is a superpower, right? And if you have that and can develop that and work on yourself, it, it just ripples into every other aspect of your life. And, and, you know, like even we were talking, um, you know, about physical health and things like that, you know, I, I, 
it's interesting how I had so many things dialed in in my life, but but never was exercise. And and they always say the best exercise program is your first heart attack, <laughs> because <laughs> then the reality of your temporary existence is there. Sorry, so I feel I like I'm being selfish. No, you're not. Taking care of yourself is important, so you can take. No, care no, of I meant hogging hogging the talk. Sorry. No, no you're, this, this is spotlights on we, you, Brian. We could have three. <laughs> we could have three episodes. You are one of the best storytellers and just so engaging. That's why you're so successful in, in so many things. I am curious in kind of knowing yourself. And thank you for being so transparent and you are so engaging. I think we do have to do a, another follow up at some point because <laughs> your stories are amazing. Just Google him. Look up all his stuff on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. I mean, he did some hilarious stuff during um, COVID, <laughs> during yeah. COVID with the mask that yeah. <laughs> that makes it look like he doesn't have a mask on, but he actually was wearing a mask. Yeah, we have it right here. Brian Parsley. By the way, I have an account warning because I, I posted a video of me eating stinky fish, and they said that was a violation of terms and standards. Oh, my uh, gosh. And if I do it again, it's like I saw a shooting on there, and that was okay, but I eat stinky fish, the world's stinky right. fish. It, it's, oh, uh, my it, gosh. Yeah. But I so, thought but, it was funny. Tom Arnold was like, who is this Brian Parsley? Tom Arnold, formerly yeah. Roseanne Barr's husband, he is going off about Brian Parsley. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is we, too funny. Have, I think uh, I sent you a note. Joe Rogan yeah. uh, talking on TikTok. Have you seen that? I got Joe Rogan. <laughs> no, I haven't about, seen that one yet. Talking about if you're on, it's on my YouTube too, I think. But Joe Rogan was saying, uh, he, you know, it's like I saw this guy messing with people. He made a mask that, and he shows video of me wearing the mask and all that. So <laughs> yeah, kind of, it's kind of funny stuff. And and again, that's not <laughs> just like an immature fifty-two year old. I just like to have fun, and not everybody gets it. I I understand that, but. But it's good enough, you know, for me, I reckon. Yeah, so that's great. back to my question that I didn't spit out yet. But here's the thing. Have you ever wrestled with what we call imposter syndrome? Every during this podcast. And that's why I go out of my way to be very clear that I don't see myself as successful. Because I think also my biggest fear is if I begin to believe my own hype, then that's demise. And I told my wife, I said, I would have been such an amazing celebrity, such an amazing NASCAR driver, because I would look for opportunities to serve. You know, I don't know if this is true, but uh, in your case, but, you know, you've talked about your mother passing when you were one and how you've honored her with naming your company, the Constance Group, to honor her. And as a child growing up without a mom, that has to be painful, but you have used your pain to be a blessing to other people. And uh, a friend told me out of our greatest pain oftentimes becomes our greatest blessing to somebody else. And I think you have used that and other things that you have gone through to really benefit other people. And so thank you, Brian, for doing that in this podcast i know it's going to benefit many um all all 10 people that listen to this 
Podcasts. Well, 11, so. because I'm going to get Patty Comer to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Get, every time that she needs an ego boost, she'll just turn this episode back on. <laughs> turn it back on. And I I feel embarrassed to even have the opportunity, but I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And um, and listen, I, I, I've always, Gary, you know, like you do your, what, what do you do? You, don't you do like motivation Fridays or Thursdays or something? I always see come up on my Oh, Wednesday. yes. TGIF, totally grateful. It's F R E Y Friday. <laughs> yeah, F R Friday. Yeah, and um, I, I just, you know, you always have a smile, and I know that, like, behind the curtain, we have crappy days, but, and that's the thing. I, I think I call it the snap, the Instagram snapshot. We think something, but, but we don't yeah. know what's really going on. But, but it still doesn't mean that we can't put forth the, the effort to be the human being that we should be, and I think that's what it all comes down to. So I'm grateful that. I've met you two decades ago. I'm grateful that I, you know, our paths keep crossing and, and it's just, I'm, I'm hopeful that someone, even a listener, if I can serve in some way that, that maybe we can add value. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. And that's how I met Johan over in South Africa was through you as well. Really? Well, no, wait, uh, that made, this is an off topic thing, but I, I think it was Drew Harding through Sinai. Oh, that I met him through you somehow. I can't, or we met at the same place. I don't, but again, it's funny how the, that works. There's an interconnectedness that we don't even know. I know. <laughs> we just don't even know. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, we just need to, you know, maybe make it more on purpose. And Ben, it was a pleasure to meet you virtually. And I got to tell you, you can tell a lot about an individual. Both of you have books and I have a slot machine and a dart machine. Um, so <laughs> yeah, see, where our priorities I just are. need, I need to get more toys like that in the house and then I'll have the balance between, between the books and the play. But no, Brian, thank you so much for being on uh, listeners. Be sure. And we'll put this in the show notes, but be sure to connect with Brian. He's on LinkedIn at Brian Parsley speaker. He's on TikTok, Brian Parsley speaker, Brian Parsley.com. And then the constants group.com. So thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation.